Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 18 of ADHD for Smartass Women. And this week's topic is the 10 things that I wish every teacher knew about their ADHD students. And I got the idea of doing this podcast because I knew that there were many women in our Facebook group, ADHD for Smartass Women, who really struggled in school and are still struggling in school despite the fact that they're clearly bright. And I think that if you can understand how your brain works, then you can start building hacks using your strengths. But first, you need to know what your strengths actually are. And if we go back and figure out how it is that we best learn, that's really a great way to start in discovering what our strengths are. So Christy posted in our group last week, and this is really what prompted me to say, you know what, I'm going to do this episode. And this is what she said. Since kindergarten... I was always left behind, criticized, wasn't helped while I was failing, and was told I was wrong for showing my work in math. I'm not sure if she meant showing her work or not showing her work. My folders were disorganized since first grade when a teacher decided to show my dad what the rest of the students' folders looked like. And when it came to opinionated writing, I mostly got bad grades because of how I interpreted the situation. Since middle school, I cried almost every day to be taken out of school and nearly dropped out of high school until the guidance counselor put me in the alternative school for my last year so I would be able to pass high school with a 1.262 GPA, which my parents would shake their head at and talk about how lazy I was. And there are so many other examples like this in our group, and that is really amazing to me because, again, our group is named ADHD for Smartass Women. And, you know, I've seen several studies that indicate that if an ADHD child has even one adult who believes in them and supports them, they're much more likely to be successful. And the fact that when you speak with successful people with ADHD, they also say that the same thing. They say that the ADHD symptoms are a walk in the park when compared to the abuse that these people took as kids at the hands of teachers and parents and even doctors, which is also exactly why these kids need just one person who stands up for them and believes in them. I am certain that it's all these negative comments about everything these kids are doing wrong 
with no time spent recognizing them for their strengths that causes this skewed self-concept that many of these kids end up taking into adulthood. And it leads to anxiety and it leads to depression and an inability to thrive and become successful. So they leave school, but they have no idea that they even have any strengths because no one ever talks about the strengths. Now, the biggest problem to me is that teachers aren't usually educated on what ADHD even is. And why should they be if primary care doctors and pediatricians and psychologists and psychiatrists aren't either? As I've mentioned many times, most doctors, they get less than 30 minutes of training on ADHD in medical school and their residencies combined. Now, the teachers who are knowledgeable on ADHD are literally worth their weight in gold. And in my experience, like all things ADHD in life, the best teachers for kids who have ADHD usually have ADHD themselves. And I feel the same way, and you know this, about doctors and parents, etc. You know, it's really hard to understand anyone if you've never walked in their shoes. Now, that said, I can speak firsthand for some teachers that my son has had that do not have ADHD. Clearly, they don't have ADHD, and I don't know why they should be so good at teaching, but they are. They just get these kids, and they're willing to do what it takes to figure out how to crack their learning code. Now, I've also seen firsthand what can happen to a student when they have the gift of working with this kind of teacher. But sadly, in my experience, my personal experience, most teachers, most administrators, they just don't get it. Perhaps it's that they don't even believe that ADHD is even a thing, like that it's even real. Or they believe that when kids don't do what they want them to do, it's a behavioral problem. As you can tell, I'm dealing with these issues personally. So that was a third reason why I decided to create a podcast on what I wish all teachers knew about kids with ADHD and how to work with them. And I have a disclaimer. You all know I'm a lawyer, not a doctor. And every once in a while, I listen to one of my podcasts and I'm just absolutely horrified. Like I cannot even believe what came out of my mouth and I didn't even realize it. For example, I think my first podcast, I mispronounced the word psychiatric and it still bothers me. (laughs) 18 podcasts later or 17 podcasts later. And then I listened to the podcast ADHD and giftedness over the weekend. And I realized that I mentioned the Woodcock Johnson test as an ADHD test. And I didn't mean that. I know that the Woodcock Johnson test is an intelligence test for kids, but it's often given alongside an ADHD test. As you know, there's no single test to diagnose ADHD. Psychologists, psychiatrists, pediatricians, they use guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics and or the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. God, I hate that name. The second part to my disclaimer here is that my suggestions here come from reading everything I could find on educating an ADHD student and, of course, my own personal experience with my son and talking to other parents who also struggle within our current education system. So here are the 10 things that I wish every teacher knew about their ADHD student. Number one, ADHD students are smart. Before I knew anything about ADHD, I thought it meant you weren't very smart. Studies now indicate that those with ADHD often have very high IQs. 
And why wouldn't they? There are so many strengths associated with ADHD, like creativity and intensity and high energy and humor and fearlessness. I know in a previous podcast, I think it was the one on giftedness, I talked about Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, that there are actually eight intellectual domains, verbal, logical, mathematical, spatial, kinesthetic, musical, naturalistic, interpersonal, and intrapersonal. And the problem is that school teaches to two types of intelligence, kids with verbal and logical or mathematical abilities. So kids who aren't achieving in school likely have other exceptional abilities. And I really believe that the more they struggle, the more they are exceptional in one of those other intelligences. You know, maybe ADHD is connected to specific intelligences. Beyond that, those of us with ADHD are also 400 to 600% more likely to be entrepreneurs. With our divergent thinking and ability to take disparate elements and put them together in novel ways and create something brand new, we're ideally positioned for this new world. I also don't believe that ADHD is a disorder. I just think it's a difference in brain wiring. It's the environment that's the problem. We are in an environment of schools and corporations that are built for neurotypical brains. And ADHD, it's also on a continuum, meaning some people have very few symptoms and others really struggle. Look, I was a really good student, although I had to work super hard. Others I know were at the very, very top of their class and they didn't struggle until they went into the workforce. And then others struggled mightily in school. We're just all wired differently. We all have our individual strengths that we have to capitalize on. And often we learn in school at a very young age everything that we can't do. We don't even know what our strengths are because no one points them out. And then there's also this enormous amount of misinformation around ADHD, right? Number two. The ADHD brain is wired for interest, not importance. What that means is that if a student is interested in a subject, he physically cannot focus. It doesn't matter if his or her parents, teachers, or his boss thinks it's important. It's his brain chemistry. And this explains why focus can be so consistently inconsistent. One day, the student is really engaged, and other times he's not. And that is exactly why parents and teachers come to the conclusion that this has got to be a behavioral problem, because the student is choosing to not do work they have seen him or her do in other instances. You know what? It's all dependent on his or her level of interest. If he's interested, his brain will flood with dopamine. And then he can pop into hyperfocus, where his concentration can be so steady that he or she can research a subject for hours, and it will literally feel like 15 minutes to them. ADHD, it's also misnamed. You know, there's not a deficit of attention. There is a surplus of attention. There are so many things that actually interest the ADHD brain that we can be constantly distracted by our own thoughts. So if your student is reading something he or she isn't interested in, they're going to be bored. And so instead, they're going to focus on their own thoughts, which are usually so much more interesting to them. Another thing is that we are scanners. Our brains focus on the connections and relationships between things more than on specific bits of information. So making us memorize a bunch of 
items that aren't connected to anything we care about, it's just never going to work. We actually learn best when we can connect what we're learning to what we already know. So help us build bridges from what we already know and care about to what it is that you believe we need to know. Because honestly, how does it help any student, any student, ADHD or not, to memorize a bunch of stuff and then forget it weeks later? What I have noticed about ADHD students is how, with their divergent thinking, they will take what they learned months ago and integrate it into something that's happening to them today. You know, I often feel like they actually learn better because their working memory is such that they can't really memorize things that aren't relevant to them. So they have this ability to connect what it is that they're trying to learn to something else that's concrete that they already know. That leads me to number three. If you make the students' lessons relevant to their life, they will perform better. Help the student understand why they need to learn what it is that they don't want to learn, but you think is important for them to learn. I mean, we can be a bit oppositional, right? And I think that's part of our strength. I remember one of my son's elementary school teachers defending something that another parent questioned by saying, well, this is the way it's been done for 150 years, and that's how we've been doing it because it works. And I remember thinking that that alone is proof positive that it has to change. Actually, when I think about it, I probably didn't think it. I probably said it, right? But that's how we are. We're creative. We're the ones that are saying or thinking, let's make it better. We can do this or we can change that. And the establishment hates that about us because it's our nonlinear brains. We can sort of be pains, right? We have so many ideas and we're often not afraid of change. And we're pretty good at blurting out what others are thinking, but don't have the nerve to say. And I know I'm talking too much about my son, <laughs> but understand that all of this is what I'm dealing with right now. So it's literally in front of me 24-7, and it kind of makes me crazy. So I'm really appreciative that I can talk to you about it. So this past semester, my son's science class was all about building bridges. And I think they chose building bridges because they were trying to also teach the kids geometry. Now, I knew firsthand just how uninterested my son was in the bridge project because I literally heard about it every damn day. And he's got some visual spatial challenges, so he's never going to be an architect anyway. So he was especially digging his heels in, and he could not understand why the designers of this curriculum would choose bridges rather than houses, since in his mind, he said, I'm never going to build a bridge, but I just might build a house. And it doesn't matter that in all likelihood, there were very good reasons for the curriculum designers to choose the bridge building. That didn't matter to him because he didn't understand why. And because he didn't understand why, he was not going to buy in. So he literally couldn't get out of his own way. And it didn't matter that his teachers or his parents or the designers of this lesson plan thought that learning how to build bridges was important. If he didn't see the importance he could literally not muster up the interest. Now, if his teacher would have listened to him complaining, would have acknowledged that he had a point, would have had a sense of humor around it, and rather than get frustrated with him, would have had an open discussion 
and would have tried to figure out a way to connect what Marcus was already interested in to this bridge project, it would have been hugely helpful. Because once they actually got to the building the bridges part, because they actually had to physically build a bridge, like a, you know, a small reproduction, not a, not a real bridge. But Marcus was just a lot better because he was able to use his hands. He was able to move around and he's much better at doing in order to figure out what it is that he needs to learn. So I guess my message to teachers is don't underestimate the power of acknowledging the student has a point because that will likely help them not to shut down for the rest of the lesson. Number four, as far as the fourth thing that I wish every teacher knew about their ADHD students. Negative emotion will not motivate anyone, but it really won't work for an ADHD student. For every negative thing that you say, you need to find an equally positive thing to balance it out with. And I have to tell you, this is true for parents too. And I, I mean, I have to constantly stop myself because of course, the things that bother me are front and center. And I forget to point out the things that really make me proud and really make me understand that my son is moving in the right direction. Okay. And that brings me to progress reports. I have to talk to you about progress report. Get the comments about lack of focus out of the damn progress reports. First off, I noticed that with my son, when the word focus was not used in his progress report, and instead his strengths were mentioned first, and then the areas that he needed to work on were discussed, those happened to be subjects that he always had an A in, and it didn't matter what the subject was. But in those subjects on his progress report that said things like, He has a difficult time managing his time and maintaining focus. He needs to identify mechanisms that enable him to refocus and maintain focus. He needs to continue to work on not struggling with focus. If he focuses more in class and organizes his time more efficiently, he will do blah, blah, blah. His biggest challenge is to stay focused. When he is motivated and focused, he can do blah, blah, blah. In those subjects where focus was constantly mentioned, honestly, where focus was even mentioned once, he flat out did not do as well. It was clear to me that the teachers that understood him understood how his brain worked and got his buy-in on how best to work together in those subjects. And in those subjects, he did great. So I basically went to the administration and I told them, I don't want to see the word focus used in one more progress report. Look, all students want to do well in school. It is the most therapeutic thing that can happen to any human. If they could do well, don't you think they would do well? ADHD, it's not just an inability to pay attention. It's also an inability to control attention. You never know when your attention is going to show up and be reliable. And you can imagine how frustrating it must be to be smart, but incapable of showing it in grades or on tests or on progress reports. Every quarter of every year, Your progress report mentions your need to focus more, yet everything you've tried makes no difference and no one will actually show you how to focus better. In fact, you don't even know what that means. You're just constantly told that you're supposed to do it. So instead, what do you do? You wonder 
what is wrong with me that I can't do what other kids can do so effortlessly? So by the time you get to high school, you start to rebel against the whole system, right? Because the traditional learning environment just doesn't work for you. The hyperactive students with ADHD, they're more likely to externalize their anger and develop an attitude about education in general and perhaps drop out of school. The inattentive ones, a lot of girls are in that category, internalize their anger, they blame themselves, and they develop anxiety, depression, or worse. Those are the kids I'm really worried about. My son, all students, they don't need platitudes. They need teachers who are willing to get creative, to listen to them and suggest workarounds for their lack of focus. We already know they can't focus on demand to that which they're not interested in. We know that they struggle to manage time. We know that they struggle to organize themselves. We know that they can't identify mechanisms that enable them to refocus and maintain focus. If they could, they would have done so by now. They need the teacher's help. These teachers, they often see the students for hours every week. They've had hundreds, if not thousands of students. They must have better ideas than you have to focus better. I mean, that is such a lazy comment. Consult with teachers who are successful at mentoring these students because there are teachers who are. How is telling a student that they need to learn how to focus, an ADHD student no less, how is that helpful at all? Would you tell a blind student he has to try harder to see? You wouldn't. Number five, there are three ways that ADHD students can learn. Fear is the first way, and I have to tell you, this worked pretty well at my son's Catholic school. But the problem is, as students get older, they become less fearful, and they become more frustrated, and they become more angry. So the fear really has to shift from fear to real respect for that particular teacher in order to work. And if you expect the student to really respect you as a teacher, you have got to respect them as well. The two are not mutually exclusive. What is the second way that an ADHD student can learn? You can challenge them. You know, lots of times these students' brains work so fast that they're bored. And even when they're not bored, a challenge is always going to fire up more dopamine than same old, same old, right? My son believed that he was terrible at languages until he got a teacher who told him, you know what? Nope, you are actually very talented at languages. And then what did she do? She put him in the advanced Spanish class and she gave him a college textbook. That is all she needed to do. And all of a sudden, my son realized that he loved Spanish. But beyond that, he ended up hiring a Spanish tutor in Japan that we didn't even know about this. He did this with his own money on his own because he decided he wanted to learn Japanese. Because once he realized that he was actually pretty talented in Spanish, that translated to other languages. And he realized that, well, if I'm pretty talented in Spanish, I can learn Japanese. And then he went and looked at Italian. So it really helped him to come to a different idea of himself as far as what his strengths were and what they weren't. So bottom line, what I'm trying to say is that he realized that, you know what, that was not a weakness. That is actually a strength of mine. It just needs to be taught in the correct way. Okay, the third way that an ADHD student can learn, and I said this before, is interest. Wrap what you want your student to learn around something he's always interested in. So the boys in my son's school, they liked political and social justice. They liked rap and hip hop. They needed to learn how to write. 
So what does his English teacher do? She noticed that she was losing them teaching the classics. But ultimately, the goal was to teach these kids how to write. So what did she do? She basically wrapped writing around these subjects that her boys were interested in. And guess what? They all did so much better. They loved English, and they learned to love how to write. So what is the sixth thing that I wish every teacher knew about their ADHD students? Education is something you do with students. It's not something you do to them. Talk to your ADHD student. Tell them what you'd like them to learn, why you think it's important that they learn it, and how you're planning on going about it. And ask them for their buy-in. Do they think this will work? If not, what do they think will work? Look, without a buy-in, good luck, especially when it comes to older ADHD students. I mean, these kids, they tend to be opinionated. They're individualistic. They're all about authenticity. They're creative. If they know that you really care, if they know that you're really listening to them and they're willing to pitch business as usual out the window, they're going to move hell and high water to not disappoint you. The thing is, you have to really mean it because, again, these kids know when you're being sincere and they know when they're being snowed. Remember, they are highly intuitive. Number seven, and this is a big one, ADHD kids need more structure, not less. You know, because these kids are divergent thinkers and they're creatives, there may be this sense that their education should be more freeform and less structured. You know, this couldn't be farther from the truth. Most of them will have executive function challenges. Actually, if they have ADHD, they're all going to have some sort of executive function challenge, whether it's around organizing or planning or time management or all of those things. They need help organizing their brains. They do much better with consistency when they know what to expect. You know, it's the random assignments out of nowhere that they're going to struggle with the most. So if they can have consistent class times where every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they know between 10 and 11, they've got math. If they can have homework every night versus homework, uh, you know, once a week or two times a week, but they never really know when it's coming up because it's random. They also need a way to check how they're doing every day, but at a minimum, a couple of days a week. ADHD kids usually have positive illusory bias. They're optimists who always think that they're doing better than they really are. You know, and then when they're confronted last minute with how things really are, they're totally overwhelmed. They completely check out. They don't know where to start and they just blow the whole thing off. So make sure they have a simple online portal that they can refer to because they need the daily ability to check and see where they are. And I want to really stress the word simple. Number eight, self-control isn't learned. It's part of every child's neurogenetic gifts. It's how they're born. You know, I used to think that if a child was well-mannered, if they could sit politely for hours and they didn't interrupt, if they had self-discipline, that this was behavior that was taught through good parenting. And it turns out I was wrong. And the fact that my eight-year-old daughter could sit still and study for five hours at a pop had little, if anything, to do with my fantastic parenting. The reason this is important 
is that it will be much easier for an educator to be patient with a student if they understand that a student is not being intentionally disrespectful when they don't have the self-discipline to focus for any longer than short periods of time, or they pop off and blurt things out. You know, I'm not saying that self-control cannot be learned. I'm just saying that it's usually much more difficult for an ADHD child because they start with such a deficit. They are the way they are because they were born that way. Number nine, most kids with ADHD do not think linearly. People with ADHD, they often seem scattered. You know, they're constantly coming up with ideas and comments that seem like they're coming out of left field. This is actually distractibility, and it's a sign of nonlinear thinking. The positive is that this kind of brain can see many pieces of a problem all at the same time. Ideation is, in fact, their main strength. They're highly creative, which probably explains why they're, you know, four to six hundred percent more likely to be an entrepreneur than the neurotypical brain person. The negative, though, is that all organizational tools are built for the linear brain, and they often don't work for nonlinear brains because they're built on two things that we struggle with prioritization and time management. On top of this, every ADHD brain is different. So just because a regular calendar doesn't work for me, it doesn't mean it won't work for you. There's a lot of trial and error, which is why I really believe that if the student is old enough, they need to be part of the equation. They know better than anyone if something is working for them or it's not. Again, we need to listen to our kids. The last thing I want to say Item number 10, as far as what I wish every teacher knew about their ADHD student is, I hope you know the impact you can have on an ADHD student's self-concept, their motivation, their mental health, and their future success. You know, you may be the only teacher in that entire child's life who sees the brilliance in that kid. You can literally change that child's life. My son is consistently inconsistent in every subject. He can be the best student in the class, or he can screw around and be completely challenging, uninterested, digging in his heels, not wanting to move forward. What I have discovered is this. The one common denominator that gets him to perform to his potential in all subjects is a great teacher. It doesn't matter what the subject is. When he has a teacher who is willing to understand him, to challenge him because they know he can do it, when he has a teacher who's willing to recognize his strengths and teach to them, when he has a teacher who he knows cares about him, he will take their challenge and perform because he won't want to let them down. He said recently about one of his teachers, yeah, sometimes his class is boring. You know, all classes are sometimes boring. But I have so much respect for him because he cares so much that I am not going to let him down. If you're listening right now and you're a teacher, if you're an educator, please be that teacher. Before I go, I also want to give you the name of a resource. If you happen to have a child who is bright but bored in school, not performing to their full potential, 
I really, really got a lot out of this book. It's by Lucy Joe Palladino, and it's called Dreamers, Discoverers, and Dynamos, How to Help the Child Who is Bright, Bored, and Having Problems in School. Now, this book was written in, I think it was 1998 or 1999, but everything she says pretty much is still so incredibly relevant. And the book was originally named The Edison Trait. And of course, it was named after Thomas Edison, who was probably uh, the most prolific inventor, you know, of our country's history. And so the deal with the Edison trait is that Lucy Palladino believes that all kids with ADHD have the Edison trait, but not all kids who have the Edison trait have ADHD, that it's really all about the symptoms. And so if there's serious impairment and dysfunction, then in addition to these Edison traits, then it falls into ADHD. And these Edison traits are, you know, they're basically ADHD traits. Are they easily distracted? Do they live in a state of disorganization? Do they often neglect important details? Do they not follow things through to completion? Do they have problems obeying or complying? But then, of course, it gives all these really wonderful strengths as well. So Edison trait children have an openness to multiple sights, sounds, and thoughts. They are daring. They have daring and wondering imaginations. They have a global perspective, creative urges or compelling attraction for new ideas, and they have intense focus on their own pursuits and interests. So I really found Lucy Palladino's book valuable, and I will post the link in the show notes. So that's all I have for you this week. As always, you are listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you've been listening to me for a while, I would really appreciate a review. It's not hard to do. You don't even have to write anything. If you're on iTunes podcast platform, just scroll down to the bottom and click on the stars. That's all you have to do. And if you'd like to know more about me, our patent pending cortography system that teaches you how to figure out which of the many interests you have should be the one that you pursue, or if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com, click on podcast in the navigation bar. You'll see a microphone to your right where you can leave me an audio message, or you can reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.